0: Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them with me to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, I'm going to invite up my good friend Dan Morell as he comes up here to lead us in the reading of God's Word. And once you found your spot there in Ephesians 5, if you would stand with Dan and I, for the reading of God's word this morning. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you again this morning. As you've come near to us, your word says that when we draw near to you, it's not that we we get your attention and you turn around, but we find you already drawing near to us. So, God, that's that's what we need this morning is a real life-giving sense and touch of your nearness. Maybe that's hard for some of us to, to want today because of how naturally far we've been. Or maybe it's not that we haven't been far, but we just haven't been close. But our hope today, Jesus, is that you are always near to us that you're with us, you're our shepherd that has your eye on us. Even when we don't have our eyes on you and we begin to sink, you're the one that grabs us by the hand. You pull us up, you meet us where we are. And that, God, that, that's our, our desire today, that that would happen, that we, um, as we gather here and posture our hearts before you, desiring your presence and your work in our lives, that Holy Spirit, you would move us closer to what you have for us. God, we ask that as we study your word this morning, that you from heaven would speak right here to our hearts. Pray, God, you would get me out of the way, get our minds off of Andrew, and and get us centered around you, Jesus, right now. We're here for you, Christ. You're worth it. We have your word that we want to heed and hear and receive this morning, so help us do that. We ask, ultimately, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. God, would you speak, and would you give us ears to hear what you want to say? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we had a two-week break from the book of Ephesians. Had Tim Mallory, missionary from Cartagena, Colombia, with us two weeks ago. Was really thankful to have Pastor Pete Vital from or Vitali, I think, as as Jimmy Italian esque pronounced it. Um, from Calvary, Vero was here last week teaching the Word out of John three, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back in the Book of Ephesians, just digesting it myself this week. Excited to come here with you guys and and put our noses back in it, open up our hearts and ears back to what God is saying through this incredible book of the Bible. We've been going. Kind of just section by section through this book, which was originally a first-century letter that the apostle Paul wrote, kind of as a pastor to a young church that he was heavily involved in, especially their planting and development. Paul has the heart of of, of a parent for this church, writing to them uh, with with a unique desire. You know, we all have, especially as parents, unique desires for our kids. Uh, if there was a unique singular desire that Paul had for this community, it was for them to remain faithful in Christ. And not just in their behavior, but more so and primarily in their positions to stay rooted where they've been placed through the good news of Jesus, which is simply in Christ. That's like Paul's favorite phrase to use in Ephesians. Almost every section has the, the, the preposition used in to describe our relationship to Jesus. Uh, that, that to be in uh, a Christian means that we have been placed in the best possible scenario. We are in Jesus, we are in him. And all that that means is basically chapters one through three. If you go through chapters one through three, Paul is like, basically, he's reading to us our spiritual bank statement through the gospel. He's like, here's what you have, here's what it means to be in Jesus. And Then he shifts gears in chapter four. When he gets to chapter 4, he's beginning to describe what it looks like to live from that position. And that order is really important. We we, we must remember that as Christians, uh, a a clear sense of our identity should always precede our activity. And it's not the other way around. Aren't you glad that, that God is not looking for you to work your way into an identity this morning? Aren't you thankful for that? That today you have received once and for all all that you could ever hope for. In Jesus, that you are who you are in him once and for all because it is finished. Amen? So you're in him, but the calling is to live from that position, to to root down deep in who you are in Jesus and then to bear fruit as you walk out the truth of who you are. And so that's what chapter four has been all about. Now, the one thing that has been the same with every section that we've looked at is we've been following the theme again of in Christ. And, you know, every week, that's the the angle we're taking. Every week, we're looking at like a different aspect of this position of life in Christ. And if you'd like to take notes, and even if you don't, okay, this is the title and the big idea of life in Christ from this, this section. You can write down this. A simple title. In this passage, Paul is describing what it means to be filled in Christ. We've looked at so many different aspects of life in Christ, wisdom in Christ, life in Christ, uh, redemption in Christ. But here Paul is describing what it means for a follower of Jesus to be filled, filled in Jesus. Uh, that's what we see here in this passage is Paul is not only describing what it means for individuals to be filled, but I want you to hear this, for a community of individuals to be filled. We can very easily fall into the American trap with reading the Bible thinking that it's only singularly about me, me and Jesus, him and me, and, and Paul teaches the book of Ephesians from a whole nother dimension that includes all of us together. And that's what this section is about. It's right there in verse 18, the first verse we read. Paul says this, and we we studied this a couple weeks ago for my brief commentary on alcohol. You can go back to that sermon. I'm sure you're interested if you didn't hear it, okay? Uh, But Paul says in this passage, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But we see it here, right? But here's the command for us, like today, there's a command from heaven to our lives, and God is saying to us, he's not suggesting, he's calling and commanding us that we would be filled with the Spirit. Can someone say filled? Let's try that again. Someone say filled. This is the command that Scripture has for our lives, that we would be filled. Now, notice who we're filled with, not just what, but who we're filled with, that we would be filled with The Spirit. Now, it would be important for us and wise for us to take a moment to talk about who Paul is talking about. Before we just go on talking about the importance of being filled, the emphasis on this passage is actually not so much being filled as much as it's with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. Now, who is the Spirit? Or maybe we could even say more naively, what is this spirit that Paul is calling us to be filled with as followers of Jesus? Um, Some basic um, pneumatology, introductory stuff here to the Holy Spirit would remind us. I, I like the way Chuck Smith says it. He says the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of the Godhead at work in the world today. The primary agent of the Godhead at work in the world today. The key phrase there is agent of the Godhead, right? The Holy Spirit is, listen, God himself. Jesus taught this. The scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit is one of three persons within the community of the Trinity, Trinity, it's not a word you're going to find in the Bible. It was invented by a guy named Tertullian. With a name like that, you know you're going to invent some epic doctrinal titles, right? Tertullian invented the word Trinity to describe really just a truth that Scripture reveals. You don't need the word Trinity to have a robust sense of the doctrine of the Trinity by reading what's plainly revealed in Scripture. And the doctrine of the Trinity is essentially just who God is. In our best attempt to understand how he's revealed himself, because that's the only way to really know who God is, is to take him at his word, not to make him in our image, but, but allow us to, to see who he's revealed himself to be. Don't you hate when people make conclusions about you that aren't true, that are based on their perception and opinion? How do you think God feels, right? I mean, people do that all the, we, we do that all the time. We tend to make God in our own image rather than receive who he has revealed himself to be. He told Moses, I am not what you want me to be, but I am that I am. And who is he? Well, in scripture, God is, listen closely. First of all, he is one. This is what the Bible teaches. The Lord our God, the Lord is a cod in the Hebrew. He is one, a compound unit. The idea there is he is one God. There is one God. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. Uh, There are not many ways to God because there are not many ways. One true creator God. there is one singular true creator God. Now this God, listen, Scripture teaches, exists eternally as three distinct persons. I hope you had your Wheaties and your coffee this morning. We're getting to some theology right out the gate here. There is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are all each fully and equally God. Let me say that again. There is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are all each fully and equally God. This isn't Tertullian's idea. This is Jesus's idea. This is the Bible's idea. As we come under the authority of God's word, this is who God reveals himself to be. He is one. There is one God existing eternally as three distinct persons. I think it was Augustine who said, to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. To understand the Trinity is to lose your mind. I love that quote. It's true. There's a mystery to the Godhead, yet there's great beauty in who God is. Incredible beauty. Father, Son, and Spirit. So so when Paul is speaking about the Holy Spirit here, with that basic kind of theological theological buffer there, we we understand that the Spirit is God himself, and again, one of the persons of the Godhead. Uh, He's a person. He has a mind, he has will, he has emotions. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, the Holy Spirit is not you know, some force or energy emanating from God, like electricity. You know, the Great Commission is not, you know, may the force be with you. That's not the Great Commission. <laughs> Jesus said, I will be with you. The Holy Spirit is not, in the way that we can sometimes approach the Holy Spirit is as if he's not God. I love the oratory quote. He said, if we constantly think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of force or energy, or our thought will constantly be, how can I get more of him? But if we remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is a person and he is God himself, our thought will be, how can he get more of me? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God himself. Listen, you know, I could just keep talking, but usually what I try to do at some point in my sermon is stop and read a Spurgeon quote, and so I got one for you. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he said it best. Listen to this. This is a doozy, so engage your mind and your ears here. Here's what, what, what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, We're so accustomed to talk about the influence of the Holy Spirit and his sacred operations and graces that we are apt to forget that the Holy Spirit is truly and actually a person, that he is an actual life, an existence, or as we as Trinitarians usually say, one person in the essence of the Godhead. But I'm afraid, Spurgeon says, that though we don't know it, we have acquired the habit of regarding the Holy Spirit as a divine emanation flowing from the Father and the Son, but not as actually being a person himself, God himself. I know it's not easy. He, this is a really interesting part. He says this, I know it's not easy to carry around in our mind the idea of the Holy Spirit As a person. Anybody else relate with that? I relate with that. Couple head nods. Spurgeon says, I can think of the Father as a person. I could do that because his actions are such that I can understand. I see him hang the world in space. I observe him wrapping the newly created ocean in darkness. I know it is he who formed the drops of hail, who determined the number of the stars and calls them each by name. I can conceive of him as a person because I see the Father's actions. Oh, I can comprehend Jesus. (laughs) I can do that, right? We can comprehend Jesus, the Son of Man, as a real person. Because he is, I love this, this is so Spurgeon, this is beautiful, because he is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It takes no great stretch of my imagination to picture the babe in Bethlehem or to behold the man of sorrows equated with grief or the king of martyrs as he was persecuted in Pilate's hall or nailed to the cross for our sins. Nor do I find it difficult at times to realize that the person of my my Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven or clothed with the clouds and wearing the crown of all creation, calling the earth to judgment and summoning us to hear our final sentence. But when I come to deal with the Holy Spirit, his actions are so mysterious. His activities are so secret. His works are so removed from everything that is familiar to our mind and body that I cannot easily grasp the idea of him being a person. But he is a person. God the Holy Spirit is not an influence, not an emanation, not a stream of something flowing from the Father, but is as much an actual person as either God the Son or God the Father. I almost want to say amen after that, right? When we get to heaven, we can, we can fist bump Charles Spurgeon, to say the least, for that one right there. But that is so helpful. Understanding the nature of who the Holy Spirit is as God himself. As a person who can be grieved and lied to and rejected. A person who is pursuing us in love. Now, here in the verses we read, as Paul is saying, to be filled with the Spirit. What's going on here? What's the context of this verse? Not just in this book, but in this moment of history. Um, What Paul is describing here in Ephesians 5.18 with us being filled with the Spirit is, is, listen closely, Paul is describing the relationship of a Christian to the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Let me say that again. Here in Ephesians 5, Paul is describing the relationship, our relationship as Christians, to this Holy Spirit. This God himself, in the, um, in empowering God's people, our relationship to him under the new covenant. Again, what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now, to understand the significance of our relationship to the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, you ha- you got to understand the difference between the new and the old covenant and the way in which mankind related to the Holy Spirit prior to the glorification of Jesus. There's a great verse in John 7 where the Bible says the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is language that Jesus himself even talks about with his disciples that describes different kinds of relationships to the Holy Spirit and even like uh, with people, even different kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit relates to people. Jesus talks a lot about this. Now, in the old covenant prior to Christ, the times where Christ was promised and predicted, uh, the spirit of God as is today has always been with man. I think of Genesis 6 when things were nearly as bad as they are today in the world. And God said, man, my spirit will not strive with man. How long? Forever. And and that's a truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is in the world seeking to lead people to Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit loves being almost like behind the scenes. He just loves giving attention to Jesus. Most (laughs) Most of your Christian life is the Holy Spirit and you don't even know it. He's always at work. We think it's us. We th- you know, we don't, and he doesn't like ask for more glory. He's just always pointing to Jesus. And, and he's, he's do- in the world, with all men, he's always leading people to Jesus. That's, what he, that's his primary ministry, getting people to Christ, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what Jesus taught. Uh, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God, just like today, was always with man. We wander. Our spirits have separated from God. God's spirit is always seeking to bring us back. Now, what's also interesting is in the Old Covenant, the spirit of God who was always with man would also come upon certain men. The spirit of God who was always with man would come, uh, this is the Old Covenant still, would come upon, listen closely, certain men for a certain purpose at a certain time and moment, listen closely too, with a certain measure. Did you get all that? Old covenant, spirit of God's with everyone would come upon certain people, certain people, not all people, certain people for a certain job or task, for a certain something. Like they're called to do this. I want them to do this. I'm gonna put my spirit upon them to empower them to do the thing that I need them to do. Even, you know, rebuilding the temple is a great example of this. There's a lot of evidence of that. You know, the famous verse uh, in, out of uh, Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but how? But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That, that was a, the, the empowerment of God's spirit to accomplish the rebuilding of the temple. Certain people, for a certain purpose, at a certain time, not all time, not, a, not even like a 10-year, you know, a lifetime guarantee or something, you know, a limited time. With the, also notice this, a certain measure, a measure, a limit. Uh, this is why we see David in the Old Covenant in Psalm 51 after sinning against the Lord like a mobster. David in Psalm 51, what does he pray? God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Bible teaches that the Spirit of the Lord at one point departed from Saul. This is a, I mean, First Samuel is phenomenal. And the Spirit of God comes upon David. It's a moment where that happened. And a distressing spirit, the Bible says, like even from the Lord came upon Saul. That's a whole nother sermon. But anyway, David knows what it's like to have the, the power of the spirit come upon him. He also knows what it's like for the power of the spirit to leave people, for God's spirit to still be with people but not upon people anymore. Now, let me say something really, really clearly, okay? This is the old covenant. This is the old covenant, right? This is not the new covenant. The covenant that Jesus has established with his very blood. Jesus taught that there's a transition. He taught his disciples that there's a transition coming for God's people through the new covenant. You see, through the new covenant, we won't even have to tell each other to obey God. Because God's gonna put his very spirit in God's people. He's gonna cause his people to walk in his ways. Jesus told the disciples, the spirit of God is with you, but he said, here's what's gonna happen. He is going to be in you. This is the work of redemption. When Christ purchases our lives, he doesn't just restore our broken spirits. He fills us with his spirit. Listen closely. He seals us with his very presence. Puts his seal and his stamp and his ownership on our lives by putting his spirit within us. Amen? It's just good news this morning. Paul's been talking about this in Ephesians 1. Earlier in Ephesians 1, Paul's been talking all about the Holy Spirit. And let me say this like Paul, like Jesus, loves to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, we should also love to talk about the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, he says, uh, talking about redemption and how the spirit of God under the new covenant uh, is, is in us now. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, that's how you find salvation today, you can be saved from your sins, restored back to God with the hope of, of eternity, just through believing in the work of Christ, coming and bringing your life to him. And by believing, notice this, you were sealed with the what? Okay. That was good. That was pretty good, okay? I need some people that are actually excited about this. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Let's not get used to that. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, um, the literal translation of guarantee there is he's the down payment of what's to come until the redemption of the purchased possession, until the full redemption is coming to the praise of his glory. Wow. Thank you, God, that you have sealed us with your spirit. I don't have enough works to seal the spirit of God inside my life. You know what I'm talking about? I don't have enough obedience. I have too much disobedience. The good news of the gospel is you're sealed with the spirit because of Jesus. What he has done so much so that God has put his seal over your life. The Bible says that now in Christ, we are one spirit with the Lord. And what God has joined together, man cannot separate. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we have been baptized into the spirit. You know, The language that the Bible is trying to communicate is like God wants his people to be secure in the fact that they have the Holy Spirit, that he is now in them. Listen, you and I never have to pray again what David prayed. We we never have to pray, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? We're sealed. Unbreakable seal of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Is that good news for anybody in this room? Anybody longing for more confidence in that? Anybody Anybody know what it's like to lose security because of your own life and your own decisions? What hope we have in Jesus? We're sealed because of him and what he's done and for his glory. Amen? Now, what's really beautiful about this verse here in Ephesians 5.18, because remember, Paul is, like he often does, he doesn't, like, come out the gate with the full revelation of all of his theology. You know, he doesn't start a sermon with the doctrine of the Trinity, usually, you know. I want to learn from Paul. No. Paul will write most of his letters and he will build on concepts. So lay foundations, then he'll build on concepts. So here in chapter one, Paul says, you're sealed with the spirit. But now he gets to chapter five and he's like, you're sealed with the spirit, but you need to be filled with the spirit. It's an interesting mystery even, isn't it? The spirit of God is in you, but are you filled with him? Now, what is Paul getting at? Well, what Paul is saying here in this passage is, is, listen closely. Paul is saying this. Paul is almost, he's commanding, but but the prayer would be this. May the Holy Spirit, who is forever in you through the gospel, may he be, Paul is saying, the dominant determinant of your life. May he be his power and presence, the primary influence in your life. That's what he's saying when he says, To be filled. You're sealed, but may the Holy Spirit fill you. May you be filled with the Spirit. May he control your life. Now, that's literally what Paul is saying here, especially when you read it in its context. The Bible is best read in context. Really important to know this. The, The context here is a contrast with alcohol, right? Yeah. Paul's saying, be filled with the Spirit. Let that control you. Don't be drunk with wine. So it's a picture. So, so we understand now, and we even see this in Acts chapter two, the first Christians who are filled with the Spirit in Acts two. Look what it says: It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. Luke is just using beautiful intentional language here. And what did the what did the wind do? It what? What did the wind do? It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, something from heaven comes upon them, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There, there, There came to be a new primary influence in their lives in this moment, a new dominant determinant, a new primary power, and it was the Holy Spirit that fills them. But notice what it says. It says there's dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation, Jews from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language prior to Google Translate everything that they would say. This is interesting. And they were all amazed. They marveled saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? how is it that we each hear in our own language the language that we were born with? Notice this. Persians, or Parthians, excuse me, and Medes and Alamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Those places, Egypt, (laughs) and the part of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear, hear all these different languages from the power of the Spirit. They go, we hear them speaking in our own tongues The wonderful works of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you could be a cessationist, but I'm not. And I believe in the present power and movement of the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things through God's people, like give people the ability to speak a language that they don't naturally know. Um, And and this is, for us, this is not a divide issue. I would say it's like a strong, good debate issue. For us, your, your church family, we're church family, despite our differences. I want to point out, though, for all of you people that are like, yeah, we should speak more tongues at solace. Notice the emphasis of tongues is on the wonderful works of God. It's about him. Like there's so much of the church today that has used some form of an, an emphasis on tongues to make a lot of attention on people. And it's like, it's like, what's going on here? In this first century moment, the emphasis was on just God. The attention just went to God. Look at him, the wonderful works of God. So notice this, though, because i got to keep going on. My sermon's not on Acts 2, okay? So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another. They're looking on it. They're going, what? This is what they're saying. Paraphrase. What's going on? Or New King James, whatever could this mean, okay? Now, I want you to notice. There's always, in every crowd, with the work of God, there's always different heart responses. You know, some people... Are open to the gospel. Three thousand souls get saved in this moment. Other people are skeptical. They're like, "What? What, is, what do they believe? What are the Christians? They believe that stuff. They, believe, they submit to the Bible, that ancient text." Others are just scoffing, and they go, "They're drunk. They're hammered. That's what's going on right now. That's what they say." But notice the language. They are what. Full of new wine. That's what they perceived. This is the idea that Paul is speaking about. That's the the terminology. To be full of new wine, to be full of alcohol, is is evident in the direction of your life, and the actions of your life, and the the movements of your life. Paul is saying, don't be full of alcohol. Let your life be filled with the Spirit. May the Spirit of God, in the same way that alcohol negatively uh, can can cause brokenness through drunkenness, let the power of the Spirit bring restoration and beauty and goodness as you're filled with Him. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do we see this church experiencing this? They're filled with the Spirit. Now, let's talk a little bit more about this. And I'm making this decision right now. This is going to be a two-part sermon, okay? Come back next week for part two. The language here in verse 18, the command to Christians who are sealed with the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit is really important and significant. It's why we need to remember that, that the, the Greek text is very valuable to our understanding of God's Word. Going back and, and seeing really what, what the author was intending to say. Um, And and with our English translations, most of them, we have have enough accuracy to to know all of the major doctrines and then some. But then there's times like this where the Greek really opens up some insight. When when Paul says here, be filled with the Spirit, he could have used one uh, verb tense to describe being filled with the Spirit. But he intentionally chooses to use special language. This could literally be translated. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Growing up in church, I heard it was taught. It literally means be ye being. And I'm like, well, we don't have to say it like that. Okay, guys? We could just say be constantly filled now because we're not wearing funny hats living in England. Okay, three centuries ago. Okay. Maybe we are wearing funny hats. Lucas, I like your hat. Okay. Um, Be constantly filled. Now listen closely. This is such an important detail. There's no such thing as a Christian who, who, listen, every Christian is sealed with the Spirit once and for all. One and done. But every Christian needs regular refillings of the Holy Spirit. There's no Christian that can say, Oh, I was filled with the Spirit a couple years ago. Check me out. Still going strong to this day. One and done. One filling. That's all I needed. One filling, no spilling. What's up? Here I am, all right? Be constantly filled. Now, Now, this isn't a doctrine we're deriving just out of this verse. This is a precedent that we see all throughout God's word. Here's a couple truths that we see in God's word about Christians who are sealed with the spirit. You and I, just like, listen, the early church who we look on at, we marvel at the power of the Holy Spirit through the early church. The early church, the, the early church like us, listen, needed to be refilled with the spirit. I, I love this, this section of scripture here in Acts 4.31 where Peter and John, they're put in prison. Peter and John in Acts chapter two are filled with the spirit. Peter stands up, and the Bible says, being filled with the Spirit, he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved, and you know what happens? Like, sometimes a couple chapters of life happen. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you drive in traffic. Sometimes you walk through seasons of drought. Sometimes you, you go away on vacation, and you don't really have any time with the Lord. <laughs> you're, you're creating moments with your kids, and, and your parenting. That was a that was an honest moment there. Came into this last Saturday like Lord, I need a I need a refilling. <laughs> There's times where you're serving Jesus and you look down and you're running on empty. You don't have the fervor. You don't have the love. And when they had prayed the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. In other words, God refilled his people and they got back up and they went back out. And you know what they would essentially do at the early church? They just repeated this process for the rest of their lives. Like God, I need you. And I I don't just need one moment with you. I need a whole lifetime of you. I need regular moments with you. God, I need rhythms where I can come before you and say, God, I'm on empty. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you renew me in your spirit? I don't want to run on E. I don't want to run on fumes. When you've promised me, listen closely, the outpouring of your spirit. The only hope to live the Christian life. The only hope to serve God. The only hope to love God is the spirit of God. We need refillings of the spirit. And so we see a theme here in Acts, a couple key truths. We see that humans, followers of Jesus will say, Christians who are sealed with the spirit have the need to be refilled with the spirit. But um, here's the great news of the gospel. Ready for this? God gives free refills. Jesus, in John chapter 7, said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Are you thirsty? Here's the the prerequisite to being filled with the Spirit. Thirst. Need. And and Jesus said this, and I'll even show it to you. In John 7, the Bible says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood, he cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What an invitation. Can I tell you something? You as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to beg for the Holy Spirit. All you need to do, Jesus said, is ask. And like a good father who gives good gifts to his children, won't he give the Holy Spirit to those who beg him? No, who ask him, who say, God, I'm thirsty. I'm running on E. I've lost my love. I'm bored. May you fill me afresh with your spirit. Can I remind you, that we don't fill ourselves with the Spirit. We don't fill ourselves with the Spirit. We come to the source. We come to the one who fills us, who gives free refills again and again and again. And this is why Paul would say, there's a need for every Christian to regularly be setting their sail for the wind of God's Spirit to blow in their lives. Um, and, And this is really beautiful because as Paul is saying this here, I want to I remind you, like, the context of this is not just an individual Christian. And that, that's how I'm teaching. I'm encouraging you as an individual to come back to the well, to come back to the fountain, to receive times of refreshing. To position yourself under his presence and his power and say, God, fill me. And by the way, we ask by faith. We believe by faith. Jesus said, whoever believes. We don't work to the spirit. We say, God, fill me. We also, we don't say, God, fill me with your spirit, and we kind of wait for something to happen. I think I got filled. I had one hair stand up. Does that mean the Holy Spirit? I was like, no. We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust in the words of Jesus. He said, ask me for, and he gives us his spirit. We just got to trust him to do what he promises. Going to work tomorrow. I don't know if you have off. I don't think we have off on the 3rd. of. you know. Going to work this week, eventually. Going to 4th of July this week. And just say, God, fill me with your spirit and trust that he's going to. Trust that he will. At any moment. Multiple times a day. Multiple times an hour. God, fill me. You know, what's amazing about this verse, again, is it's it's not just for individuals, it's for a community of individuals. What we're going to study next week is where Paul goes on to describe the effects of being filled with the Spirit. Some of the effects. It's not a robust list of of all that. There's a lot of controversy around what it means to be filled with the spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. But the emphasis here in just this one verse we're studying this morning is certainly that Jesus' vision for his church is that it would be a community that's filled with his spirit. So much so that he's like, he told the disciples like, hey, don't get to work. It's not I'm alive, I'm resurrecting, I'm ascending, get to work. He says, go and wait for my spirit. He is who you primarily need. Like, There's so many things we want the church to be filled with. We want the church filled with people. We want the church filled with energy and excitement. We want want the church filled with like attention. We want the church filled with even good things, love and joy and all these things. But the Bible says that God just wants his church to be filled with the Spirit. And I think if we hunger for God himself, all the other things will follow. I wonder in your life how many other things you're seeking beside the Holy Spirit. How many things in your life are really just gonna be byproducts of you saying, God, fill me with your spirit. I need to be refilled. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? All these things will be added to you. All of these things. Now, like I said, next week, uh, we're going to, go into the next few verses which describe what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But I, I want to just come back this morning as we close uh, in our time of worship Invite, like, uh, I guess, Jimmy out, Jimmy and Britt out. Um, but I want to just close this morning creating a moment here where we can take Jesus at his word. I don't know where you're at today, but here's what Jesus says. John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me drink what are you filled with this morning what's filling you what's controlling you fear shame anger busyness distraction regret you that's a big one I go to spend some time with Jesus yesterday and study, and I just, I'm just like, I can't even begin to prepare a Bible study. I spent, I spent a whole week just with Andrew. I mean I, I mean, I just, this was one of those weeks where I just feel like, in all honesty, I was just like, Lord, I, I didn't seek you. And it was hard to, with three kids, Chevy Chase movie, okay, but... I just had a moment with the Lord even yesterday and this morning where I was just like, Lord, um, I just come before you and I believe that you want to fill me more than I want to be filled with you. And so I'm just going to confess my sin to you. I'm going to confess how filled with me I am. And I'm just going to empty myself before you and say, Jesus, may I decrease and you increase in my life. I'm telling you there's power in that there's a spirit-filled church on the other side of that. When a community of people recognize their tendency to be filled with everything other than God, and we make it a daily practice to turn away from those things and say, God, empty me of this. Empty me. I don't wanna be full of that. I don't wanna be full of this. I wanna be filled with your spirit. And so here's the good news. Isn't it good news this morning? We just have an invitation from Jesus today. I love that um, Pete Vitale talked about this last week. He said, you know, Nicodemus, he comes in the night But the key thing is that he came to Jesus. And so, listen, um, coming to Jesus doesn't have to involve a physical relocation. Like he's he's up here, he's not in your seat, you know. Or um, he's on the other side of your obedience or he's on the other side of whatever the thing is. We pray this in the beginning. Coming to Jesus is about recognizing his nearness to you right now, despite how far you've been. And it's responding to his invitation. Even still, Jesus says this, come. Come. You who have no money, come by. You have no food, come eat. Come to the waters, you who thirst. And you'll find replenishment. You'll find a filling of the Spirit. So let's create a space here as we close. Listen, let's go to Jesus. Create a secret place in your own seat, in your own heart right now, to come, maybe come back to Jesus. To turn away of some of the things that you need to confess to God. Maybe after the service, you've gotta come up and and confess it to some people up here that are gonna be praying. But let's take a moment and respond to this invitation. We who are thirsty, let's come to the water and drink and let's ask Jesus to fill us with his spirit.